Welcome. Appreciate you being here tonight. Appreciate your bearing with me as we enter into our 22nd lesson in this series on uh, the subject being America's culture war. As a brief review, I think it's, um, has it been two months, I think, since we did a session? I've lost track. So we're, we're studying the method that Satan is using to metastasize America's spiritual cancer. Uh, that is namely remodeling the American home, uh, affecting the nucleus of an entire society. So if you destroy God's plan for the home and, and then remake it in a way that will uh, will be to Satan's liking, then it can ensure the spiritual demise of, of a country. And so we moved into the third theater in Satan's war on the home, and that is namely child rearing. And this is our sixth session on that subject and what the Bible has to say about that, trying to get a good grasp on the, the rich material that the Bible presents on this subject. Uh, so many times the things that we um, can glean from Scripture on child-rearing uh, aren't directly even addressing child-rearing, but, uh, but when certain concepts that the Bible teaches are considered from the perspective of child-rearing, it becomes clear that the Bible actually has a lot to say on this subject, uh, way more than often, oftentimes than I ever, ever even thought about growing up, uh, maybe oftentimes more than, than we realize at first glance. So, so far we've looked at what the Bible teaches about the ultimate goal of parenting. It is not about merely uh, pleasing ourselves as parents, just having fun, uh, like a living, having a living toy to play with, like, you know, oh, you know, I just really want a baby. They're so cute, right? Uh, it's not merely about uh, teaching and, and training them in such a way that they can get a, get a good career and get married and make good money and enjoy life. That's not what it's about. Nor is, it, nor is the goal merely to get them baptized. Our fundamental goal as parents is to mold our children for God uh, like a potter is, is molding a lump of clay. And so we talked a lot about that early on in these sessions. So preparing our children to live a life in service to God, not, not a life in service to themselves. Uh, so it's about training troops for the Lord's army who will then be equipped to stand against Satan and his minions and then spread the truth uh, across the planet throughout their life. So enjoying babies, helping them uh, get a good career and marriage and money and, and getting baptized. These are all great and important, but they're not the fundamental goal of what parenting is about. And if we don't have that clear in our mind, then it's going to affect what we're doing as parents. And so the way to meet the ultimate goal of parenting can be broken down into three steps, I've argued, uh, teaching what they need to know about living a life for God, uh, training them in doing that, and then correcting them when they don't, which is kind of a subset of the training idea. And so, so we're going through each of these in turn, studying, uh, trying to study uh, pretty deeply into what the Bible has to say about these. Obviously a parent can't fairly discipline or train a child to be a certain way or correct and rebuke a child for not doing so if the child first doesn't even know what he's supposed to do. Uh, if he doesn't know what's expected of him, he can't very well do it. And so teaching or instruction has to come first. It's step one. So if we haven't instructed our kids, we can't expect them to read our minds and obey instructions that they haven't been given. And so we talked about that as well. 
And so with regard to teaching, we considered Proverbs 22.6 and the phrase, particularly, in the way he should go. And, and I paraphrased it this way on the screen. Train a child now to be the way he should be then, and when he gets there, he'll be that way. So train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so we, so we look at a child's behavior now, and then we fast forward in our minds to what that behavior would look like in its adult form if it's left unchecked. And then we consider what will that behavior as an adult, will that behavior as an adult warrant God's disfavor with that child? Uh, would that same behavior in its adult form be ungodly, uh, unchristian, and ultimately lead to God's judgment? If so, then we should be sure to teach about that and train it, train in it, and, and correct for that for the elementary version of those behaviors now. And in so doing, he'll be prepared for a life that'll please and serve God, which is again the ultimate goal of parenting. And so again, our teaching, of course, we in our teaching, and again with this, we're still reviewing here. We want to emphasize what God emphasizes in our teaching, since it again, it again is, it is He that we want our children to please in life. And so, since that is the ultimate goal, again, of, of child rearing. So, God, of course, emphasizes teaching His Word, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 20, and specifically instilling in children important biblical virtues. God highlights virtues throughout the Bible that we're supposed to have. Uh, making sure that they are pure and right in His sight. Uh, so particular virtues that the world doesn't necessarily emphasize. And so we, we began a, a study of the particular biblical virtues that are important for a child to be taught and trained in in preparation for adulthood. These are virtues that we're all supposed to have. So key virtues that will influence their actions when they're older that will apply pressure on them to behave the right way if they're trained in those ways and their conscience is talking to them. So we've covered six of those virtues so far that God expects of adults and therefore which we as parents must teach our children. And in our last session we discussed the importance of obedience. Um, so. Uh, no matter how small the command might be, obedience, holding our kids to the line. So whether we're telling them to just, uh, hey, come here, give me a kiss, or, you know, don't, don't touch something, or don't steal, right? The, the, regardless of how minor we, we might consider an infraction, if we give a command, um, we as the God-ordained authority in the child's life, uh, they must comply with that command no matter how small it might be. So we teach obedience. Uh, with that in mind, it's crucial that, that we as parents be careful what commands we give and sometimes even when we give them. Because the minute the command is given, it is our job to enforce that command and ensure compliance. No matter, again, how small the command might be and no matter how much time may be required to enforce that command. Uh, sometimes enforcing those commands is hard because kids many times, don't they, choose the very wrong time to disobey, right? You know, we're in a hurry. You know, you know we're late to church. We got some place to be. And yet we have this crucial responsibility to train our children to be obedient in everything. It will have eternal consequences for them if they're not trained in that way. Now, our love for our children should compel us to prioritize the virtue of obedience and uh, our taking seriously the job God has given us will compel us to pri prioritize this virtue of obedience. I believe at the end of our last session, I briefly highlighted the fact that obedience isn't really the same thing as submission. 
and they're both essential virtues. So while obedience is merely complying with a rule or a law, submission is more yielding yourself to it. It's surrendering. So obedience can merely be an outward thing, while submission is inward. So submission is obedience with the right attitude about it. And so we think of the child that obeys but does so reluctantly versus the child that hastens to obey. You know, you think of, of the little girl that throws a fit when her parents give her a command. Okay, that is rebellion, right? The opposite of obedience. So the adult version of this tantrum is the girl who rebels against God's commands because they don't suit her. And so we picture uh, such a girl versus the girl who humbly complies with her parents' commands without backtalk. No! Or without whining. But then and without fits, and without anger. See, none of those behaviors indicate submission on the part of the child. And so we picture the boy who's been given a command that he doesn't like, and, but, and so he sticks his lip out at his parents, and then he slowly turns to obey, as though saying, well, okay, I'll obey because you're bigger than me, but on the inside, I'm not obeying, and one day, I'm going to be big enough to do what I want. Right? Okay, so notice he's obeying. But it's not submission. Okay, so will God accept that kind of obedience from us on Judgment Day? No, hardly. And so again, we look at a, at a behavior now, and we fast forward to its adult behavior, and we think through, should I be fixing this now? So as accountable adults, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about this idea of submitting to authority. It's just it's it's laced throughout the Bible. Submitting to the government, Romans 13. So in this case, for the Christians, even whenever it was the Roman wicked government, they were supposed to submit to our elders, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Wives are told to submit to their husbands, Ephesians 5.22. Submit to all authority, 1 Peter 2. Submit, of course, to God, James 4.7, the ultimate authority. So clearly submission as adults is important to God. And so we have to teach our children not, not just, to, just to obey, but submit to authority. So it's notable to me that one of the qualifications of those who would be elders is that their children be not just obedient, but in submission. And so from a parent perspective, we should see passages like this and stop and consider, okay, are my children outwardly obedient, but inwardly rebellious? Or are they humbly compliant towards me? And now one disclaimer, uh, of course, on this subject of teaching in submission. Ephesians 6.1 has an important phrase that parents shouldn't overlook. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Okay, how does a child obey in the Lord? Well, in the Lord refers to God-authorized commands. So in other words, a child must obey a parent in all things, Colossians 3.20, assuming a parent isn't telling a child to do something that is contrary to God's will. At that point, a person must obey God rather than men, of course, Acts 5.29. <clears throat> Recall uh, Genesis 27, where Rebecca commanded her son to obey her. Remember that? What was her command? Well, her instruction was for Jacob to deceive Isaac and steal Esau's blessing. Okay, so should Jacob have obeyed his mother on that occasion? Of course not. All right, well, we should apply that to ourselves and, and be careful as parents to never command something that is not right in God's sight. Otherwise, our children would be justified and even should be commended for obeying God rather than men. 
Uh, when I was doing uh, youth work in Texas, the parents of, of one of the youth there uh, was, he, they were, the parents were Christians, uh, so they're members of the congregation there, but, but they told this, this boy, who was already a Christian, he couldn't go to church Sunday night because he'd piddled around and hadn't finished up his homework. All right, so the young man, again, who, he's already a Christian at this point, he, he knew that he's supposed to seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33, even over his parents, Matthew 10.37, obeying God rather than men and not forsaking the assembly of the saints, Hebrews 10.25. And so he felt compelled to disobey his mother and go to church anyway. Now, you can imagine this is a hairy situation because I'm sure his laziness and procrastination had contributed to his parents' frustration with him. And he was certainly at fault for that and deserved correction. But their form of correction would force him to disobey another of God's commands, which wasn't appropriate for his parents to do. And so he stood up to his parents and insisted on going to church. And so you can imagine the drama that caused in the household, uh, some of which, of course, bled over into my life because I'm the one that taught him to obey Matthew 6.33 and Hebrews 10.25 and so forth. So, so what do we learn? Well, we as parents simply have to be careful what commands we give. And sometimes when we give the commands, and in those cases where we're given a command that we shouldn't have given, then we must have the humility to apologize and remove that restriction. Uh, so we'll come back to this idea of obedience and submission when we're discussing training. But for now, let's move forward to the next virtue. Number seven, teaching children to show respect and even reverence when appropriate. Does God expect Christians to show Him respect be respectful as adults? No doubt. In fact, it's half of the whole duty of man. Right? The purpose of life, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. all right? Having a healthy respect of God rooted in a fear of His awesomeness, that is, uh, due to what He's capable of. We are to fear God, 1 Peter 2.17. The word fear there meaning to have a profound measure of respect or reverence for is what the dictionaries say. And so the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. <clears throat> Proverbs 9.10, which our kids memorize. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 12. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. The word for fear throughout this passage in the Greek is the word that underlies our word phobia. And Greek scholars describe its meaning here as being to be in an apprehensive state, to be frightened, afraid. And so we're to have that kind of fear of God in addition to mere reverence. So this is a fear that should cause us to tremble like the demons that James mentions in James 2.19 whose acknowledgement of who God is caused them to tremble. So some, someone says, well, <clears throat> God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, uh, but of power and, and love and, and a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. That's true. But first of all, the word for fear there isn't the same word. It's not the word for phobia, but it's talking about cowardice, which is a different Greek word. Christians aren't to be cowards with God's word. That's true. But Christians are to have this kind of fear of God. Hebrews 12 Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by, uh, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. It's hard to miss the point here. The kind of fear that we're talking about, that we're supposed to have 
for God. 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The, the word translated terror here is actually the, the same as the word translated fear before. It's from phobos. Paul is saying judgment is coming, and since we understand what it means to fear God, we preach persuading men to follow God to avoid His wrath. So obviously God expects us to show respect towards Him, even a form of fear, knowing what He's capable of. All right, well, if that is acceptable and even appropriate for us to have a fear of God in that way, why wouldn't that same concept be applicable to potentially other relationships and even be an acceptable thing? especially when we're talking about parents and children. You know, parents are in the position of representing God to their children, Hebrews chapter 12. And so we'll look at that more in a moment. And sometimes that representation should include instilling in them a certain kind of fear of their parents, what they're capable of, what they'll do if a child behaves a certain way. That, that, that is a deterrent to crime, right? That is a deterrent to bad behavior. Now, admittedly, sometimes we might, we might get squeamish at this idea, instilling fear. But isn't that because of modern society's influence on this subject? I mean, we don't get that idea from the Bible. Of course modern society doesn't agree with that idea. I mean, society is all for giving children what they want. Just spoil them. Keep them away from any form of pain. They don't understand as pain is actually beneficial. It actually helps you. And so obviously, modern society is against disciplining children. I mean, doing anything that would cause, uh, that would obviously cause fear in a child, they don't want you to do that. Well, have the results been good from society's implementation of that idea? We live in a society where children have no fear of authority, no fear of teachers. The adults have no fear of policemen and the government, even though God made it clear we're to fear the government, Romans 13, 3. For it does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister to you for good, uh, verse 4 there in Romans 13. So God expects us to respect and fear him, and naturally, parents must teach children to respect and fear them. Now, when implemented properly, we, training a child to fear and respect his parents is certainly not going to cause our children to cower anytime we're near or anytime we reach out to them. Right now, if that happens, then we need to rethink something we're doing. That's not the kind of fear we're instilling, but we are to instill a form of fear. We fear God, though our fear of Him doesn't cause us to cower or run away from Him. We love God. We, we have fond feelings towards God. We long to be with God. We appreciate God beyond words. We, we love to talk to God about our day and our problems and our worries all the time. But we also know that He is holy and He is to be feared. And we don't forget that, or we better not. We know at the back of our minds that we have to be careful to keep the right perspective about who we're dealing with here. He is set apart from us. There's, there's a steel wall that separates us from Him that we will never be able to pass through due to God's awesomeness and glory. And let's face it, due to His wrath, uh, what He has done and what He promises He will do to those who show Him disrespect. So it's always a two-sided coin here, this balance. So should children have a form of that kind of fear towards their parents? I would say yes. And previous generations understood that. It would be silly to, for, to them to even have to justify it. 
You know, of course we feared our dad. We loved him. We loved to be with him, play ball and wrestle. We loved it when he smiled at us. But we also feared that man, the look that he could give and the pain that he could generate on our backside when we failed to obey or show him or mom the proper respect. <laughs> the, older, the previous generations got that clear. Romans 13, 7, Paul says, To render therefore to all their due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So not just fearing and respecting God, no, showing the appropriate respect, honor, and even fear of those authorities that God has appointed in our lives is essential to pleasing God. Uh, do we live in a respectful society today? Is it real respectful? Is everybody very respectful of each other? And No. Okay, now why do you suppose our society isn't respectful? Okay, this isn't rocket science. Could it be because our society wasn't taught the, the the virtue of respect for authority when they were children, taught, number one, that we're to show respect, and number two, taught how to show respect. Both of those are important, right? How do you show respect? That, that's, that's just as important as teaching that you're supposed to respect. God expects us to submit and show honor to all ruling authorities in our lives because those authorities are actually appointed by God, whether it be the government our teachers, policemen, and so forth. Honor is to be given again to elders. Uh, husbands are to give honor to wives as the weaker vessels. Wives are to respect their husbands. And those who the Bible defines as, as widows are to be given honor as well, and, and other people are to be shown respect. Lots of passages on this subject. And so giving due honor and respect is fundamental to Christianity. So it should come as no surprise then that Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, verse 1. And then, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Right? So Paul here quotes one of the Ten Commandments from the Law of Moses that the kids are memorizing. He then binds this particular commandment on the New Testament Christian. All right, now, think about the Ten Commandments for a moment. Sometimes called, we call the Decalogue. So, so many rules were given by God through Moses, right? But, but these ten were the commands that were highlighted specially by God. These commands that, that ultimately form the basis of morality, Jesus argues in Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Love God, the first four commands. Love man, the last six. So if you and I were to highlight... Let's say we just, we just wanted to highlight our own, okay, I want to come up with, with ten commandments that I think would encapsulate all of good, of godly morality. You know, what, 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 what might we pick out? You know, if you just made your own personal list. Well, I think that'd be an interesting experiment, but in the case of the Old Testament law, God makes that list for you. And one of the ten that He chose to highlight to the Jews was to honor their parents, Exodus 20 and verse 12. That is, parents must make sure their children honor them. All right, now that's an important concept to keep clear how I worded that. So that commandment told parents that they must make sure their children honor them. Okay, what about it? What are we talking about? Well, when you think about it, is Paul actually talking to children here? I mean, children can't even read until they're a certain age, and some never learn to read properly, and yet we know Paul's inspired command here still applies to them, even though those kids wouldn't even know that he commanded it. Okay, so who is Paul really talking to here? He's talking to parents. Paul is saying to parents, hey, children are supposed to honor you, so it's your responsibility as a parent to make that happen. 
to teach them to honor, to train them in it, to correct them when they fail. It's not their responsibility, it's yours. The child's not going to teach or train himself how to do this. So if a parent were to wait until the child is old enough to read the Bible and then to make this decision for himself, if he's going to go ahead and conform to God's Word and, and start honoring his parents, it's too late. right? By then he's already ingrained in bad habits. He's got to be taught from the get-go to make this easier on him later. So notice one of these qualifications then for those who would be elders... He has to rule his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now notice here that Paul, again inspired by God, mind you, is highlighting something about parenting. So according to Paul, part of the definition of what it means for a parent to rule his own house well involves making sure that his children are, number one, in submission, that we just talked about. Number two, reverent, uh, having the proper respect the NIV uses, being respectful in, in every way, the RSV says. So notice, Paul apparently doesn't put the responsibility of disrespect and irreverence, he doesn't put that responsibility on the kids. No, he highlights this as a, a parent issue, not a children issue. As I mentioned earlier on in the series, a child is merely clay that the parents mold. According to Paul, if a man's children aren't in reverent submission, he hasn't ruled his own house well. He's to blame, not the kids. For if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So by implication, according to Paul, in general, of course, if parents don't have their children in submission with reverence, they're not ruling their own house well. And so we better examine ourselves and don't be too quick to justify or excuse our kids' behavior. We'd better take care of it and rule our own house well. All right, question. Are the schools in our country loaded with disrespectful children? Yeah. So by implication, is our country loaded with parents who don't rule their own house well? Yeah. Okay. Now, who wins when an entire country is filled with parents who haven't ruled their own houses well, haven't done what the Bible says? Satan. This is Satan. It's always Satan. It's always been Satan. He's at the root of it. He's gotten in the mix, and he's taken out all of what the Bible has to say about all this, and now we're loaded with disrespectful people caused by parents. The parent-child relationship is supposed to be representative of God's relationship with us, in Hebrews 12, the writer compares our Heavenly Father to earthly parents and emphasizes the importance of children showing respect toward them. Well, okay, why? Because it will naturally lead a person, when older, to transfer those feelings to God and respect His Heavenly Father. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not more, there's a typo there, sorry, she, she we not. Shall we not more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. So instilling reverence and respect in a child and training, it will train him how to be respectful and reverent towards God and godly things. Teaching children to be reverent Respectful of authority as opposed to those 
who despise authority, right? Despise authority. Those who reject authority that the New Testament writers talk about. It starts as a child. It starts as a child, this stuff being taught. Children aren't going to know how to respect authority without teaching and training about it. They must be taught to have such respect and fear of their parents, so much so that, that a mere look should sober them up. You know, you think of Jesus' glance at Peter when he denied Christ. Or how about God whenever he spoke to Job from that whirlwind? You think that sobered him up? Just a little look. <laughs> Insolence and defiance must be non-existent in a child. Already almost out of time. This may be a good, good place to stop. Just sad. This stuff's fun. All right, so we'll keep going talking about this, uh, this very important one on respect, reverence, and honor in our next session. So before we can train and correct our children, molding them into who God wants them to be, uh, firing them like arrows in the right direction, we have to teach them these important virtues that, uh, that they must have ingrained in their souls and behavior prior to the age of accountability. Uh, teaching and enforcing those virtues after that point will be much more difficult for us and much more difficult for them. Uh, if we want to make it easier on them in life uh, to live the way God wants them to be, then we'll be extremely diligent as parents to teach these virtues and enforce them now. If you're not a member of the Lord's Church, we always want to give you an opportunity to become a Christian in the simple way that God teaches us to do that. Examine the evidence, come to the conclusion that Jesus is God. Uh, that God exists, that the Bible is inspired word of God, and Jesus therefore is His Son, as the Bible teaches. Repent of your sins, confess Christ with your mouth, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and then be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Uh, we are added to the one church of the Bible and must remain faithful to the end if you wish to receive a crown of life. If you want to become a Christian or if you need to make some kind of public acknowledgement of sin or ask for prayers, we encourage you to come forward now while we stand and sing together. Love lifted me, love.
Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Souls in danger look above. Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's a master of the sea, billows his will obey. He your Savior wants to be, be saved today. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help,